0: Hello, and welcome back to Heart Wisdom, Jack Cornfield's podcast here on Ram Dass' Be Here Now Network. I'm Ganesh Bramiller, welcoming you to episode 211, The Heart of Refuge. So for the past few weeks, and probably a little into the future, I want to continue diving deep into the Cornfield archives to pull out those finely aged nuggets of wisdom, But with everything we have going on in the world, Jack wanted to put out a special message this week. This episode, this talk, comes from his Spirit Rock Monday Night Dharma talk, which he does once a month, along with the guided meditation. And it's all pay what you can and in benefit of Spirit Rock. If you would like to see when he is doing these next, so you can take part in it and maybe ask some questions, you can go to jackcornfieldcom slash events. This episode, as one might expect, does get emotional. Jack sheds some tears and is really radiating something special here. If you feel inclined, I highly recommend watching the video on this one that accompanies the audio. You can do that at beherenownetwork.com and go to Jack Cornfield. And before we dive into the heart of this episode, I would like to welcome you to a live course Jack has going on this November, Learn the Dynamic Art of Guided Meditation, an interactive masterclass with Jack Kornfield. This is an updated version with live portions of the interactive masterclass for guided meditation. And like this episode of the podcast is filled with dynamic and emotional moments which surely touch the heart. And this is truly a proper guidebook for being able to go inside of yourselves and invite others inside of themselves to help heal various traumas that we've accumulated over our lifetimes and live from a space of mindful loving awareness. The main body of the course is already up on JackCornfield.com, and the live sessions take place on November 15th and November 29th and we hope to see you there. We do have some other ways for you to connect with Jack and expand yourself as a student of mindfulness and spirituality. On November 4th, there is loving presence, compassion, and a joyful heart amidst it all. A day-long online benefit for Spirit Rock Meditation Center with Jack and Trudy Goodman. And then on November 6th, starts the next session of the Power of Awareness seven-week training with Jack, Tara Brock, Conda Mason, and Devin Berry. This online mindfulness training is presented by Sounds True. Then, if you would like the rare opportunity of seeing Jack in person, there is the Ram Das Open Your Heart in Paradise Retreat, November 29th through December 4th on Maui. And then on January 20th, Jack is taking part in Wisdom and Well-Being at Blue Spirit Costa Rica with Trudy Goodman, Lama Sultram Alione, Dr. Dan Siegel, Soren Gordhamer, and many more. So that is what we have going on. If you'd like to take part in any of these events, or if you would like to sign up for Jack's Monday Night Dharma Talks that he is coming up at Spirit Rock, which this episode is a sample of, or if you'd like to sign up for the interactive guided meditation course coming this November, you can do this all at jackcornfield.com. So, I've said enough today, and I would like to welcome you into episode 211, Heart of Refuge. May you be safe. May you be happy. May you help others through the authenticity of your own being, and may your heart be smiling. Namaste. It's great to see you all.
1: So tonight, I've been reflecting on how to talk in these times, and I'd like to speak on the theme of refuge, and I invite all of you who listen to
2: take this teaching as a meditation or a practice.
1: You may not... Agree with all of it, or it may not be helpful. There's no quiz at the end. Instead, let yourself be quiet and listen to sense what might touch you, what might be a reminder that
2: might inspire something that you already know is true
1: to be further nourished or awakened in your own heart. And in beginning to speak of the heart of refuge,
2: the news cycle, which we're inundated by,
1: is filled again with the latest tears of war and pain. Palestine, Gaza, Israel, Immense pain, still in the middle of it. Ukraine, still in the middle of it. Darfur doesn't make the news, kiddo. But there are
2: 450,000 more refugees that spilled into Chad from the war in Sudan in these last months. Mostly women and children. Where people were killed, homes were burned, villages destroyed. Yes, the Rohingya and Myanmar, yes, so many places. Our own cities
1: are prisons, our gigantic racist poverty prisons. So let's talk about refuge. In the old writings,
2: descriptions of the Buddhist tradition. If you encountered the Buddha in your wanderings or his wanderings around India, often people would have a dialogue. They'd say, oh, I hear a Buddha is coming. I wanna ask him some questions. And the Buddhist texts are filled with these dialogues and people would ask questions. And if they were satisfied with his answer, which generally,
1: but not always they were, then at the end, they would look at him and they say, as if to
2: say, now you are my teacher. You have turned upright what was closed. You have illuminated what was in the darkness. I go for refuge in the Buddha, in the Buddha mind, the awakened mind. I go for refuge in the Dharma, in the teachings of awakening. I go for refuge in the Sangha, the community that supports awakening among all of us, interbeing.
1: I take refuge in Buddha, Dharma, Sangha. And then they would become often monastics. He would say, follow me. Or
2: not if they went home. But there was this deep connection by feeling the refuge they had in the Buddha mind, in the teachings and community. Now, here we are turning the word refuge a quarter turn.
1: The world is full of refugees in camps, refugee camps.
2: In boats on the Mediterranean and, you know,
1: the South China Sea, crowded against border walls. How do they find refuge? Where do we find refuge? How can we hold all of this? The wise, it says do not look at the events,
2: but they look at the causes and conditions.
1: And we can see lots of causes and conditions, conditions of greed and
2: hatred and power imbalance and histories of conflict and colonialism, all those
1: sorts of things. So, there's a poem I wanted to read you, a tiny poem
2: by an eight year old girl. And it was written by a Palestinian poet named Fadi Jodah. He writes My daughter wouldn't hurt a
1: spider that had nestled between her bicycle handles for two weeks. She waited until it left of its own accord. If
2: you tear down the web, I said, it will simply know that this isn't a place to call home and you'd get to go biking.
1: She said, that's how others become refugees, isn't it? How do we as human beings inhabit this world of
2: violence? How do we find refuge? I remember traveling on the coast of the big island of Hawaii and entering a national treasure place called Pua Honua, Oho now nouns, sometimes translated as the city of refuge with these huge, thick,
1: lava rock walls around it, right on the ocean. And it was said
2: that if you needed forgiveness for anything you had done, no matter what had gone wrong in your life, or what taboo you might have broken in the society, if you could get
1: yourself into the walls of this temple of refuge you would be forgiven and i went in it was a, a kind of powerful environment
2: and i began to wonder hey does it still work can i can i be forgiven too i mean we all want it for something or other
1: right it is called the city or the place of refuge And then I ask you, what is your refuge? Where is your refuge? Sanctuary or refuge. On one level, it's a safe place
2: where there's food and water and no violence. Not a small thing
1: when we think of all the refugees and the wars. And it needs our support as human beings,
2: our money, our political voice, our hands, all of these things to help support and create literal
1: sanctuaries and places of peace. That's a refuge. And people are putting beautiful things in the chat for their
2: refuge. Mount Shasta, friendship is my refuge, the coast with the crashing waves. I take refuge in the
1: trees and their vast silence, swimming in the ocean. So we all seek to find refuge somewhere. And we want to extend that refuge because it's a longing of every being. That's outer refuge of one kind. Then on
2: another level, and some of this fits with what you put in the chat,
1: there is a kind of sacred refuge. It's the great cathedrals when you
2: enter and you go, oh, wow. This place was built to remind us of the sacredness of life. Or when you enter the cathedrals of the redwoods and the sequoias and the Bristol Cone Pines, the oldest trees on earth, and you sit
1: with them. The temples of nature and silence. the temples of the coral reefs, the ones that are still healthy. And all these amazing holy places that humans have constructed, the literal monasteries and temples and churches and
2: synagogues and holy places, and those refuges,
1: at best, are a place not in the thrall of greed, hatred, and ignorance.
2: I think of being at Ajahn Chah's Forest Monastery during the Cambodian-Lao-Vietnam War time, and the planes from the nearby air base would fly over the bombers and so forth. And the monastery, hundreds of acres of forest,
1: was a place of refuge where no one would harm you. Just to walk in, you felt this is different than the world of conflict. So, how do we create these places? When I was teaching in Israel and Palestine, I was invited to do a big
2: public talk in Tel Aviv where maybe a thousand people came. And I said, I want to do it as a benefit for the Arab speaking community who are interested in these practices of mindfulness and compassion. It was put on by an Israeli Dharma group. And at the end I was speaking with one of the Arab teachers who trained in mindfulness and compassion. And I said, it's beautiful. Here we've raised some thousands of dollars for you and the others to make this available for those who like. And I said, there's a kind of image that I carry of people going out into the desert, like the Desert Fathers, you know, and the silence of the vast desert. And maybe these practices will invite that for people to use. And he shook his head. He said, no, no, no. You know, if you get sent out in the desert, it's harsh. Usually that's a punishment.
1: He said, that's not the image that we could teach from. And I said, tell me, how would you teach? And he said, in our culture and consciousness,
2: there's a walled garden. And when you enter inside, there are persimmon trees and fruit trees and a fountain and,
1: you know, beautiful birds. And it is the sanctuary that holds all that's beautiful. And this is how we teach mindfulness, to find this sanctuary within yourself. Now, you think maybe it's for them, but it's for us. This from Yuval
2: Harari, who's one of the great Israeli thinkers and historians. For right now, he says, most Israelis are psychologically incapable at this moment of empathizing with the Palestinians. The mind is filled to the brim with our own pain and no space is left to even acknowledge the pain of others. And most Palestinians are in a similar situation. Their minds too are so filled with pain and loss that they cannot see our pain. But outsiders like you who are not themselves immersed in pain should make an effort to empathize with all suffering humans rather than lazily seeing only one side of this terrible reality. It is the job of outsiders to help maintain a space for peace. We here in Israel and Palestine, deposit this peaceful space with you
1: because we cannot hold it right now. Take good care of it for us. So that one day,
2: when the pains begin to heal, Israelis and Palestinians
1: and you too might inhabit the space of peace together. So this is the second level of refuge, really.
2: Of that sacred cathedral in the forest, or by the ocean, or with one another, or in the walled garden a
1: sanctuary, not in the thrall of greed, hatred, and ignorance. And another level, even deeper, is achieved when you go into the temple. If you go into certain Zen temples
2: in Japan or elsewhere, there's this weird thing. They have little low doors. You find them in Tibetan temples, too, and other places. You have to bow to go into the temple. You can't stride in. You actually have to lower yourself with a certain sense of reverence and humility. And often by the gates of the temple are the demons, you know, that represent all that keep us from that place of peace and stillness. And you have to pass through them. You have to acknowledge them. You can't just ignore them. They're part of the price of admission to face the demons, to bow low. And then when you enter, you're invited into a timeless reality. In Zen, they say, this is the reality of who you were before your parents were born. That's one of the great koans,
1: show me, tell me, who were you before your parents were born? There's a liberation amidst birth and death, joy and sorrow,
2: more and peace that is beyond it all. And this is the sacred openness of love, and awareness itself. And you know this. You know this as sure as you know
1: your own name, even if you forget it, you do know that there's something bigger and majestic and timeless.
2: And this is the opening to the cosmic dance. Remember the famous poem from Thich Nhat Hanh that we've all read? I am this and that. I am the young girl on the boat who was
1: raped by the sea pirate. And I am the pirate whose heart is closed, who is
2: still not open to the love of life. I am them all. I am the joys and the sorrows. I am born
1: again and again.
2: This is the cosmic dance. And from this perspective, fear and ignorance and hate are seen in the vast ocean of love and understanding, because we are part of creation unfolding itself. And if you take a Bodhisattva vow, as I've done, O oh, nobly born. It reminds you, may you remember this freedom and may you commit yourself, O nobly born, to alleviate the ignorance and suffering and fear
1: in beings, the suffering of beings wherever you are. And then you say, how long? As long as it takes. So this is a shift of consciousness for refuge. This is the timeless
2: refuge. Who is your enemy? It says in the Buddhist texts. Mind is your enemy. No one can harm you more than your own mind, untamed,
1: filled with greed, fear, confusion, and ignorance. Who is your friend? Mind is your friend. No one can help you, even the
2: most loving parents and friends, as much as your own
1: mind, tamed and trained and filled with goodness. So then you sense the outer refuge and the sacred refuge,
2: and it becomes your refuge inside.
1: Now, what else is a refuge for us in these times? Ethics,
2: virtue, whatever language you want to give it, morality. Here from a Buddhist text that I love Others will be cruel, we shall not be cruel, thus we shall incline our heart. Others will kill beings. We shall not kill beings. Thus, we shall incline our hearts. Others will be violent. We shall not be violent. Thus, we will incline our hearts. Others will take what is not given and steal.
1: We will abstain from taking what is not ours. Thus, we will incline our heart. Others will speak falsely. We will abstain from false speech and speak that which is true. Thus, we will train our hearts. Others will be envious. We shall not be envious, but respectful of all others. Thus, we shall incline our heart. Others will be fraudulent. We will be honest, thus we will incline our hearts.
2: Others will be arrogant. We shall be open-minded with humility, thus we will incline our hearts. Others will be harsh without compassion. We will be established in compassion, thus should we incline our hearts.
1: That's a really powerful call, isn't it? To say no matter what happens, what is your refuge? What do you stand for? No matter what. Integrity, honesty, non-harming, respect. And in it, there's so much truth and mercy. Because it knows that hatred never ends by hatred. But by love alone is healed.
2: And you look in Israel and Palestine and it's one traumatized people traumatizing another traumatized people from the Nakba and this displacement of the
1: Palestinians and the Holocaust. And we, we may weep and stand with others and understand the cycles of trauma and see with the eyes of wisdom, tenderness and tears and courage.
2: Like Longfellow who says, if we could read the secret history of our enemies, we would see sorrow and suffering
1: enough to disarm all hostility. A deep forgiveness. Allowing the heart to break.
2: An opening to this dance of joy and sorrow that is what is given to you. It is
1: who you are. It is who we are. And I think of these lines from Ellen Bass in her poem.
2: What would people look like if we could see them as they really
1: are? Soaked in honey, stung and swollen, reckless, pinned against time. And that's the poet's voice to say we're all in this together. Soaked in honey,
2: stung and swollen, pinned against time.
1: How could we not see with the eyes of love everybody? So what supports you in living your values? Reflect for a moment. And sense what it feels like to stand up for what
2: matters.
1: Others will do other things, we shall not. You can put it in the chat again if there's something that you wish to share of what supports your integrity, your unshakable heart. Dandelions. Oh, thank you. Yeah, a dandelion is a miracle. Music, art, humanity, blue jays, ancestral memories, living with virtue. We know. You know. My deep caring supports my integrity. This is not one of those old-time Buddhist, Christian, Jewish, whatever,
2: Muslim lectures about how you're supposed to behave and morality. It's really the speaking to the refuge of the heart, to your own innate wisdom and virtue. It's just there. You don't
1: need to be told about it. You carry it. What else is a refuge? You can reflect on this. Awareness is a refuge.
2: Remember Thich Han's phrase, the miracle of mindfulness.
1: Mindful, loving awareness is a miracle to sit quiet in the midst of nature, to be there in the middle of trouble,
2: to turn toward what is difficult, and to realize that mindful, loving awareness
1: can hold it all. Your body, heart, and mind, war and peace, beauty and
2: violence, climate change, You know, there's a whole new branch of therapy, um, the climate psychotherapy alliance of therapists who are saying it's not enough to come in and talk about your family or your mother or father,
1: but to talk about your family of the earth. And awareness can hold all of this.
2: It's an extraordinary thing from Zen Master Suzuki Roshi. He says, suppose your children are suffering from a hopeless disease. You don't know what to do. You can't lie in bed, which is normally warm and comfortable. You pace around, but this doesn't help. Actually, the best way to relieve your suffering is to sit in meditation, even in such a confused and frightened state of mind, if you have no experience of sitting in this kind of situation, you're not yet a true meditation student. No other activity can appease your suffering like including it in your own awareness and practice. In continuous practice, under a succession of agreeable, and disagreeable situations, you will
1: realize the marrow of Zen and acquire its true strength. You can feel this, that mindful, loving awareness can hold it all. One of the interesting things when you study the Buddhist texts and history is that after Buddha they say defeated Mara under the Bodhi tree,
2: the armies of Mara and the temptations of Mara and the doubt and all that story that you know touching the earth, goddess were witness to his practice. It turns out Mara comes back 40 times more in the Buddha's life. There are all these descriptions where he's sitting in the cave or in the forest or whatever. And then, oh, is that you, Mara?
1: Mara comes. And the Buddha's response is, I see you, Mara. I know who you are.
2: He doesn't fight. He doesn't run away. He sees the Mara of aggression and greed and fear and confusion and all the armies of Mara. And then in the end, he says, I see you. I see the suffering. Thich yeah. talks about the Buddha sitting down and inviting Mara for tea. It's a poetic way of describing this. But this is awareness. I see the tears. I see the grief and loss. I see the unbearable beauty. I see it, and the heart is big enough. Awareness
1: is big enough to hold it all. It is a refuge. And yes, as someone put
2: in the chat, friendship and community is a refuge. You all know this. We need each other. We're together in it. We can't be
1: separate. When Martin Luther King talked about the beloved community,
2: I think about it, because Trudy and I look at each other these days some and say, hey, in a year and a half, we're gonna be 80 years old. That's a significant number. You know, we're both, we're five weeks apart in our birth, in 1945, our birth year. So we're 78 and a half. Say,
1: wow, here we are. And of course, we love each other and support and we're doing beautiful
2: things. But we also say, I don't know how long it's not given to us to know that, but just to live it in a beautiful way. Then here's this poem from Ron Padgett that describes us sometimes. We don't look as young as we used to, except in the dim light, especially in the soft warm of candlelight, when we
1: say in all sincerity, you're so cute, and you're my cutie. Imagine
2: two older people behaving like this. It's enough to
1: make you happy. Community, wherever we are, we need that.
2: We have this great need to talk. We have this great need to hold hands and to speak what's on our heart. And the recommendation from the teachings is to seek out and talk with those who are wise and loving and who uplift your spirit. It has a little asterisk that says, turn off your social media. <laughs> I saw that at the bottom
1: in Sanskrit, but you know, it's hard to read. Now is when we need to support each other.
2: We need one another. And it's built into the teachings, Buddha, Dharma, Sangha, refuge in the Buddha mind, which is who you are.
1: Refuge in the teachings of the awakening, the possibility for you. And refuge in community. You know, as a monastic, as a monk,
2: we weren't allowed to keep food overnight. We weren't allowed to grow food. We could only eat that which was placed in our hand within a distance of one arm's length, a hataba, that morning after sunrise and before noon, which is a kind of wild thing. I mean, I would go out with my alms bowl into the village and people would put food in because it meant if people didn't feed you every day, you couldn't live as a monastic. You know, we get these ideas of monks living up in caves and things, and they do in other cultures, in the Mahayana cold cultures of Tibet or Japan. There's other, but the initial rules were that you had to receive your food in your hands that morning from someone who cared for you enough. And when I would walk through really poor villages and they would put some of their rice or curry, I couldn't say thank you, thank you. You're not allowed to kind of talk to people, you know, you have to pretend to be wise, mindful, and
1: so forth, and just to hold it. And I thought,
2: why should I take this food? They're poor. I could write home to my mother, and she'd send me a check, right? I could go out and buy food. But they were saying, we so value what you represent. When we see you walk by in your orange ochre robes, when we see the peaceful way you carry your bowl, when we go to the temple to hear the teachings, this is food for our hearts and our souls. We so value this, that we offer you today some of the little that we have that we might share it with you. And it was really a kind of sacred transmission Of generosity and care. We need that from each other. And in all the dire situations of the world, it's all the more needed. Send your money, send your aid, stand up, speak what's right, do what you can socially, politically, whatever it is,
1: offer your heart. We're together in this. I remember when
2: my daughter was seven years old and she had a medical problem which they were trying to diagnose and they gave her antibiotics and it didn't work and they gave the antivirals and it didn't work and they said oh I'm sorry to say we have to do a biopsy and as a parent I got terrified of what it could be and it was a Suzuki Roshi says it was hard to sit and one of the things that I did is I made an altar, and I put her picture on it, and I put a picture of all the loving grandmothers and sages, all the women that I knew that carried the spirit of love. Pictures of Deepa pictures of you know the her own grandparents, um, and, and, and pictures of people that I admired, of Harriet
1: Tubman. And so, and I said, you mothers and grandmothers, hold my daughter.
2: Kuan Yin was on there, the goddess of compassion. Please hold my daughter and take care of her. Because I can't do it all myself. And of course, this is archetypal, but it speaks to us in some deep way. And we all need it. You know, some years ago in New York City, there was a hotline that was started and advertised around by a man who called himself Mr. Apology. And it was the Apology Hotline. It was recorded, too. He, you know, published some of it. And he said if you need to apologize and you haven't had the proper opportunity, Please use our apology hotline. And what happened was that there were hundreds and hundreds of calls in the first day or two. People with grief, poignant calls, criminals
1: saying, please, I want to apologize. Please accept my apology. What is it that asks for forgiveness in you and in this world around you? Because it's also how we come together. We can bear witness to one another with love and compassion like Longfellow see the struggles and suffering underneath. And at the same time,
2: see underneath all of that, the compassion that we all go through. That releases our
1: judgment and blame to others or ourselves. What helps you forgive? Again, you're welcome to put in the chat anything that you want to share. And the second reflection of the same kind. How can community be really alive for you as a refuge? What helps
2: you to feel the sense to have that connection and community?
1: where community becomes your refuge. How can it be more of a refuge? You can know. (laughs) My daughter was okay, by the way. It turned out fine. Somebody asked in the chat. With
2: great relief. Thank you. But there are many
1: people whose seven-year-old children are not okay. Yeah. What does the beloved community want from you and what do you want from it? And how do you connect? This is part of your human refuge. We need each other. I love this chat. I was just telling my husband this evening that
2: there's one person I cannot forgive even after years of practice.
1: I need to rethink this. Oh, thank you. Thank you for saying that. And then the last of this teaching on refuge. Is to take refuge in trust. And trust is an interesting thing.
2: If you read the exquisite writings of Sangstan, who used to be called the Third Zen Patriarch, now he's called the Third Zen ancestor. He'll probably be called something else as we go along. But it's an amazing little teaching that he left, just a few pages. And in the end, the kind of culmination of it, he's trying to
1: speak about the gateways to liberation. And he said, liberation is one with the trusting heart. That that's really where liberation is found.
2: And this is mysterious. My teacher, Ajahn Shah used to love the words, maine in Thai, which means it's uncertain, isn't it? And he would say, my nah, lots of times about things we'd ask, when is this going to happen and when, what will do this? And Or deeper questions, what's it like to be enlightened? And he'd laugh and he'd
1: say, my nah, it's uncertain. You want certainty. And it's not. It's called the wisdom of uncertainty. Which is to sense A refuge in change itself in this mystery.
2: That that in each breath, we can begin again. There's no final story in that way.
1: Whatever's happened, you can begin again now. It's never too late. And the trust is really in the timeless Awareness itself. (sighs) Who do you think you are? Well, that's the wrong question. You think a lot. Maybe a better way to say it is, who are you? Who are you really? You are the consciousness
2: that was born into this body you're not this body that's made of, you know, vegetables and rice crackers and hamburgers or whatever it is you eat. It's just not you.
1: And you're not your thoughts because they come and go. They're so unsubstantial. And you're not your emotions.
2: They come like the weather. Who are you? You are the consciousness
1: that was born into your body. and that we'll leave it at the end of this incarnation. And I got a call from somebody in
2: Los Angeles. Could you help my family member who was a very famous movie actor and you know very famous musician who was close to death and terrified. So I got on Zoom with this person for a time and could feel all their fear because they hadn't really done any inner practice. And together I said, let's practice. I'm not going to te- teach you about how things are. Let's do this together. We practice some to quiet down, to hold the immense fear with a greater sphere of compassion for everyone who's afraid in the world. And then underneath it, to find that place of unshakable stillness and the field of loving awareness that could hold even that great fear and terror to find it in their bodies in their hearts back and forth over time
1: and finally they said after some sessions i'm different in a very different way and
2: then i was called would i come and speak at their memorial which i did and mostly what I talk about is how we know this. We forget it. We get caught in the thrall of our life. But there's something so much greater. And central casting has put you into a particular place in this incarnation. and you get to learn from it. This weird place. You know? And it's your place to exhibit and demonstrate love.
1: And it's really mysterious. Because awareness is what you are.
2: You're the witness to it all. Wow, what an incarnation. You'll see when your consciousness floats out of your body at the end, you go, whew, that that was a life. How about that one? You'll see a poem from our great, poet Jack Gilbert, who died a few years ago. It's called Horses at Midnight Without a Moon. So he sets the scene of these horses. No moon, dark night. Our heart wanders lost in the dark woods. Our dream wrestles in the castle of doubt. But there's music in us. Hope is pushed down but the angel flies up again, taking us with her. The the spring mornings begin inch by inch while we sleep and walk with us later as long-legged beauty through the dirty streets. These spring mornings walk with us through the dirty streets as a long-legged beauty. It's no surprise that danger and suffering surround us.
1: What astonishes is the singing. We know the horses are there
2: in the dark meadow because we can smell them, can hear them breathing. Our spirit persists like a man or woman struggling through the frozen valley who suddenly smells flowers and realizes the snow is melting out of sight on top of the mountain
1: and knows that even now in the dark, spring has begun. You are the conscious witness of birth and death, of war and peace, of joy and sorrow,
2: of unbearable beauty in the ocean of tears. This is what's given to you,
1: to us. And you are the Buddha. You're the one who knows, Ajahn Chah's phrase. You're the consciousness, the witness to it all. Timeless, unborn. It is who you really are. All the rest of it changes. But awareness. You are the awareness itself. Rest in it. Trust it. I feel like this evening, letting these words resonate, whatever was helpful, feeling your presence,
2: seeing those of you in the little squares on the screen, which I love,
1: sensing that we come together as a place of refuge and wonder maybe, loving, Mary Oliver's phrase. I was a bride married to amazement. So maybe we can just sit quietly and feel one another's company. Companionship. You're cute, by the way. (laughs) With our hearts that both weep and love and that are big
2: enough to move through this world and bring it peace. And if anyone wants to say anything in the chat, you're welcome to, we'll stay quiet for a minute or two and just gaze kindly, say thank you to this
1: community that's come together in this moment beautifully. We deposit this peaceful space with you because we cannot hold it right now. Take good care of it for us so that one day when the pains begin to heal, all of those in conflict. And you and I together can inhabit the space of peace. Thank you and
2: take all good care.